You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is episode number eight. Our guest today is Rihanna Davies, the co-founder and managing partner of Sandpiper Ventures. A native of New Brunswick, Rihanna's business leadership spans the globe, from Europe, Asia, South, and North America. She was the COO and on the board of directors that took Grand Vision, a 5.5 billion revenue retailer with businesses in 45 countries through a successful IPO on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. Rhiannon has driven target identification, due diligence, acquisition, integration, and a move to profitability for many companies. She thrives in fast-moving, fast-growing environments and works in executive and board roles in private, public, and not-for-profit organizations. Rhiannon believes in the need to support entrepreneurship and innovation to deliver meaningful change in business, community, and for social development. She actively supports this belief by serving as a mentor and angel investor. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on our podcast. Uh, As you know, we're talking about innovation-driven entrepreneurship, and we shared a little bit about your bio and your background, but I thought maybe what we could do is take a little bit of a step back before moving ahead and moving forward, just so we can give our listeners a little bit more background about who you are, maybe some inside scoops about your your background. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, it's great to be here too, Alex, and, and good to be talking to you. Um, yeah, y- you mentioned some of the sort of formal constructs of, of my background and my bio, but uh, a, a few more tidbits. Uh, I grew up on a hobby farm in, uh, in rural New Brunswick, um, and my journey has taken me to many, many places in the world, both professionally and uh, and personally, starting with um, university in Montreal. And I did two degrees there and then uh, moved to Toronto for a few years to move into uh, the, the world of, of consulting. And, and the world of consulting gave me some insight into many, many, many companies and uh, also enabled me to move for an 18-month stint uh, in the year 2000 to the Netherlands. And that 18-month stint turned into uh, 19 years. So I spent most of my professional career living in the Netherlands and always working for uh, multinational companies. Um, both of the, the companies that I've worked for recently had uh, were operating in, in many, many markets um, globally. And, and I think that's formed much of what I've done. But uh, my background is in engineering, my second degree, and uh, most of my career was spent uh, in manufacturing, supply chain, um, logistics. And I moved on to the more commercial side of the business when I was with a a company called Numico. And when I joined Numico, Numico was nearing bankruptcy. And during the time that I was there, which was uh, about five years, we turned the company around to become the fastest growing food company in the world. And ultimately, it was sold to uh, Group Danone in 2007 as Danone was sort of changing their strategy and, and becoming a more of a health food company. And at that point, as I've done after each of the exits that I've had, is uh, I stayed for a couple of years, realized that working for a public company was not my thing, and took my family sailing. Um, and my, uh, my kids at the time were one year old and three years old. And my husband and I um, hopped on our boat and spent a couple of years... Um, yeah, looking at life in a very different way. And my fear when uh, when we started doing that journey was that, oh, 
when we got back, my career would be limited. People would judge me as, a, as having taken a, a non-traditional pathway. But in fact, when I returned to the Netherlands two years later, there were two types of people. The people that indeed acted in, and saw me in the way that um, was somewhat judgmental, and other people who really embraced that experience and wanted to hear more. You know, how many countries were you in? We went to 22 countries, and, and how did you manage the children on board? And, and how long is your longest time up sea? And uh, so really quite excited by the adventure that we'd taken and, and the fact that we had the, um, the courage to, uh, to take that on. And then I returned to the Netherlands, and one of the people that found that sort of exciting was the head of um, a company called Grand Vision. And Grand Vision was a PE-backed company supported by or owned at the time by the Holland America Line uh, Investment Fund. And they had been buying up a number of optical retailers and manufacturing sites. And at the time, we're sort of in about 20 countries. But they hadn't created a company. There was absolutely nothing there. So they brought in a group of five of us. And I was the COO of that company. And we built a company. But we built a company from a very luxurious base. And that was that we already had, you know, two and a half billion euros of revenue. And we were in 20 markets. But there was no backbone. So within that company, um, and this was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, I created a buy-sell model construct that would enable the company to operate completely differently and to ensure that we could grow in a scalable way and, and also address the markets in a different way. It just brought a lot of profitability and a lot of, um, uh, and, and really an uptake in, in sales. And over the course of the five-year period, Within Grand Vision, we moved into another 20 markets and uh, grew the company 40% in system-wide sales. And then we took it to IPO on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange in 2015. And I stayed again for a couple of years, um, but found that working for a public company was not my cup of tea. And I wanted to do something, again, more entrepreneurial, more innovative, and, and more socially focused um, than I had been. So once again, we pursued uh, our interest in offshore sailing and, uh, and took the kids on the boat and, uh, and traveled to Halifax. And here we are now. That is amazing. I mean, you, you just summarized so many things so, you know, succinctly, but I think there's just so much there to unpack, you know, your focus on new adventures, whether it was going around the world, 22 countries. Also looking at your rise within uh, your career and transitioning from Canada over to uh, to the Netherlands and making that decision to 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 jump off I I want to say jump off into the ocean but jump <laughs> off into a new adventure um, and then just completely um, immersing yourselves um, you know not only in a new fast growing company that you said didn't have a lot of structure that you're really trying to you know, make something bigger happen there, but in a completely different country. And also, I would assume in a completely different language, um, or I'm sure maybe they they use a lot of English in the Netherlands as well. But that is a quite a lot of different experiences uh, that you've had in such a, a short period of time. And, um, you know, bringing your, your family along for the journey as well, or making time out for that and really, um, uh, you know, having that be a sort of a key part of, of your growth experience as well. I think that's really, really kind of fascinating. 
Um, I don't know how many people have that exact same story. <laughs> so I'm so glad that you shared that with us. And, and I'm sure that many people who do know you here locally in, in Halifax uh, might have known some of that, but may not have known the full gist of, of everything that you just shared with us. So I appreciate that. So, so you, uh, you talked, you know, relatively quickly, but I think, you know, it's a quite a remarkable feat to, you know, ha- help a company reach an IPO um, and, you know, go through that entire experience. And I know we talked about this before about what a transformational experience it was. After that, after that period of time, how did you decide, you know, to, sort of step away from that amazing uh, journey and experience and try something new and then decide to come to to Halifax what what uh what made you decide to yeah. do that? Um, I, I guess a couple of things. First of all, it's it's very very difficult. I think after um, an exit, and and some people do it, but after you've gone through something like an IPO, you it, it's incredibly hard work. But of course, and 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 as much as any entrepreneurial journey is a roller coaster, it's it's a roller coaster. It's exhausting, and once you've been through it, it's very very difficult within the same construct to see where the next piece of excitement is going to come from. And Grand Vision is a fascinating company, has been growing um, continuously, has, has made some interesting acquisitions since I've left. But I think it would have been very, very difficult to achieve the same level of intensity that we were able to achieve at the time. And I must say that of the management team, mm-hmm. um, there is no one left. Um, so, so we all sort of went through a very, very similar journey following the IPO in, in 2015. So that was the first thing. It's hard to hit the same level of intensity. The second thing for me is that my my career sort of tends to go in five to seven year cycles. And it was it was time for me from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And lastly, when we went on our first um, trip, we promised ourselves a few things when we came back. And one of those was that before our children were too old to appreciate it, we would take them on a trip again. Um, because going through the the sort of intensity of, of, of the IPO, I was very conscious to make sure that I retained enough time for my family and, and a significant amount of time for my family. But it's not with the level of intimacy that, um, that you achieve um, doing what we did. So um, we promised mm-hmm. ourselves that we would do that again. And at the time um, that I left Grand Vision, my kids were 9 and 11. So it was a perfect moment. Um, they mm-hmm. weren't teenagers yet, and they still appreciated us. Um, so we thought it was a, a good <laughs> moment to leave. And it was also a moment when I wanted to... Uh, they My kids were Dutch kids, and, and, and they'd grown up in the Netherlands. Dutch was their first language. And I tried to be very consequential in speaking English to them, but it... But it was never easy. So, so our home language was Dutch. Um, so I actually wanted them to see sort of the other side of their culture and their family and be a bit closer to my family. And I wanted to see what it was like to live in Canada again. Right, right. And then so you did your you did your second trip because your first trip was when they were two and three. And then you decided to do the second trip and hop on a boat mm-hmm. again. Intense experience and decided to sail back over to Canada. Yes. Yes. And this time, uh, this time we decided to stay indeed. Okay. And, and well, you're from New Brunswick, so Nova Scotia is just right next door. So you probably have lots of family kind of, um, in the area and you arrived on the shores of, uh, Halifax, a great, uh, sailing city as it is. And 
but you didn't really slow down. <laughs> Once you got here and got yourself settled, I, I think I heard you say something about your, your the place you were going to move into wasn't quite ready. So you sailed up to Newfoundland for a month or something like that. So you did, you did a little bit of relaxing as you came over. But then once you got yourself settled in Halifax, you got right back on it again. And you're you're currently the co-founder and managing partner at Sandpiper Ventures. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? How did you, I, I know the story myself, <laughs> but maybe there's some listeners out here who don't. Sure, sure. And it's a quite an interesting, uh, another part of your life and adventure and so you, you sail across, you, you come to Halifax, and you don't rest on your laurels, as it were. You decide, gone to the next adventure. So tell us about your next adventure with Sandpiper. Sure. Um, and, and I have to say, you I think you're the first person who's ever considered sailing in, in Newfoundland and, and Labrador as, as relaxing. Um, it's stunning, but it's not relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, that is true. Maybe it might be relaxing in the summer. Maybe not the rest of the year. <laughs> but it's but is it? But it is wonderful. Um, yeah, I I, I don't um, necessarily relax well. I'm I'm absolutely a doer, and and I I had made a promise to myself when we left the Netherlands that I would just do fabulous things, and and that sounds a bit flip, but I don't take it lightly at all. I was very, very committed to ensuring that as soon as I arrived in Halifax, I was going to wrap my arms around things that were actually going to make a difference, but do it from sort of my background and my perspective and with my experience. So, so bringing that into the mix. I think it was about two months after I arrived in uh, Halifax, I, I met uh, Sarah Young and Sarah Young had been uh, working on a seed in the back of her head and working with a group of women to make some changes in venture capital and in the innovation-driven ecosystem in Nova Scotia. And this group of women all came together around an organization called the Creative Destruction Lab. And the Creative Destruction Lab is doing wonderful things in supporting innovation-driven companies in Atlantic Canada and beyond. I think there are nine sites from the Creative Destruction Lab globally at the moment. And wonderful organization. But when we looked around that room, we recognized that there were very few women. And there were very few other underrepresented people in that room. And, and we all sort of started talking about that and saying, well, why is that? And what is happening? And we started scratching the surface. And what we found was that the CDL in Halifax was a microcosm for what the rest of the world was seeing as well. And that is that 3% of, of venture capital dollars go to women-led companies. I think it's 0.2% go to women of color, and there aren't any statistics for um, indigenous women or LGBTQ women or other represented populations because the statistics are too small. So after scratching the surface, realizing that this was more of a global problem, we started looking at it from the other perspective as well and saying, well, wait a minute. If women-led companies aren't being supported and aren't getting capital, we're also missing out on an incredible opportunity. So we're missing out on women's innovation and we're missing out on women's ideation. And so we scratched that a little bit as well and said, well, this isn't necessarily just a social problem. It's an incredible opportunity. And indeed, women-led businesses in technology companies are faster to revenue. They have larger exits and they are, are making better and more efficient use of, uh, of capital and delivering higher valuations. And so we thought, well, wait a minute, this is an incredible opportunity socially and financially to really make a change. And that's where Sandpiper 
came from um, was a group of women sitting around the table and seeing that, indeed, the ecosystem in Atlantic Canada is representative of the ecosystem in the world, and there's an incredible opportunity for change in that space. I think that you've um, hit the nail on the head, and you've really uh, clarified and recognized something that's uh, becoming more apparent over the last couple of years, and that really is the lack of investment in women-led and women-founded companies uh, and the opportunities that have have been given to women-led businesses. But not only just that, but actually sort of really bringing to the forefront the value that these kinds of companies have and their track record. And I think that in the past, a lot of times people would think, oh, what's, you know, like invest in a woman-led company just as a nice to-do. And I think what uh, you guys are doing, it's really interesting and, and really making a difference is saying, hey, it's not just that we're investing in women-led companies, it's that these companies actually generate better returns. They can be more profitable. They have new technologies as well, you know, whether it's things in tech or uh, biotech. There are a lot of interesting companies that are out there and women have been, I would say, hustling Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make a difference. And if they're already making a difference in being profitable, you know, with the limited amount of capital that they're able to get now, imagine what they could do if they actually had access to to capital in the way that some some others do. So I think it's um, really, really important what, what you guys I think are that's, doing. It's, it, you've, you've nailed it on the head as well, Alex. And I, I think just, just to add a, a, a little bit more to that as well, it's it's not even just the, the opportunity of women-led businesses. It's also that women, I mean... Women's share of wealth is growing incredibly in Canada and, and, and in many places in the world, but certainly in, in Canada. Women make 80% of the consumer decisions and 85% of the healthcare decisions. So it really makes sense for us to be creating products and services and innovations to, to serve that market as well. So there are a number of a number of reasons to do it. The other thing, if we talk about sort of access to wealth and and the growing um, ownership of wealth that women have, what we've also done at Sandpiper is really tried to, while our focus is investing in women-led companies, we're also trying to, to build women's wealth. And we do that, and we've done some work mm-hmm. with Onsite on that as well, by educating women who have never been in the asset class or never invested in the innovation-driven economy before educating them to understand how the asset class works and the benefits and the opportunities and the potential profitability of investing in new ventures and innovative entrepreneurship. So that's a, that's another side of, of the coin that we're looking at in addition to looking at founders. We're really looking at making sure that more and more women are educated to become investors and to become owners and decision makers in the innovation-driven economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another that's another really important point about what you're doing. It's not only just making the capital investment, it's making the human investment, as it were, to help grow a community of women and uh, amplifiers who can invest in the companies, support the companies, mentor the companies and grow this support network that allows more women founders and businesses to kind of thrive mm-hmm. and grow. So mm-hmm. I think that that is important to recognize. It's not just financial investment or it, it's that balance with the smart exactly. money. Exactly. Yeah. Smart money and, and having a community. So I think that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So it, it feels like you guys are, are really trying to create a movement here. 
you're working here in Atlantic Canada, but you're also working with others across Canada, throughout the region here. You know, what are some things that um, others could be looking at to contribute to supporting this kind of work? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been incredibly fortunate to have wonderful partners in Atlantic Canada, and I'm Onsite has been one of those. And we've been delighted that the ecosystem has supported us in the way that it has. And that's in sort of amplifying each other through training, through programming, through access to capital. I mean, it's, it's you really can't have one without the other. So that's been wonderful. I do think that there is still some reticence in the community and obviously in the world to really roll up our sleeves and recognize the opportunity that women, other underrepresented communities offer. So I think the more that we amplify each other, the more that we have these conversations, the better. And as soon as the success stories start building up and we're seeing them happen already, let's start singing those in a shameless way to ensure that that <laughs> continues. Okay, that's great. Well, well, you know, we at Onside definitely uh, are, are on the same side and we want to see uh, more of this happen kind of in our region. So we're, we're totally, we're, we've got the pom-poms <laughs> on and we're doing the rah-rah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I have a few more questions um, that I wanted to throw out there. You know, you talked a little bit about what it was like to work in a company that was th going through a growth phase and moving through that and, and what that was like. And we have this idea, you know, that we're always focused on the, the startups, the founders, but there are all these people who are sort of behind the scenes who may not necessarily be that that startup founder. Uh, and and you've been been one of those people working in a few companies, you know, as a COO at Grand Vision, working on building strategies and helping companies become profitable and those kinds of things. So what is it that you find most attractive about working in a startup? And I'm curious about that because not everybody can be a startup founder, but there are a lot of people who want that experience of being in a kind of a growing, fast-paced sort of company. So what what is that like for you? Um, the wonderful thing about being in a startup or a company that's going through significant change, and I think it's important as a as a founder and an entrepreneur to keep this in your in the back of your mind, both to ensure that you yourself are continue to be fulfilled, but so that your team around you can continue to be fulfilled. And that is sort of following a strategy, but embracing change and enabling ownership. And I really think that so much of it is about really enabling ownership because founders tend to be... Mm many, many times will we'll have started as, as a single person with a, with a phenomenal technology. And as you start to build and to grow, you need to delegate and you need to hand over and you need to acknowledge other people. And, and it's part of a process. And if you don't do that, I think that the, there's a great risk um, that you won't see the same level of success. So I think it's very, very important to, to have ownership, to give ownership, and to make sure that you're fostering an incredible culture of change, but keeping a sort of a general clear strategic mm, direction. Interesting. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, it was, it is really hard being sort of that startup founder, especially uh, if you've, if you're, if you're a technical founder and you've created this new mm. technology, it basically becomes Absolutely. your baby and it's pretty hard to let go. Um, 
you know, you, you want to see it succeed, but in a way you want to see it succeed with Absolutely. you. <laughs> and sometimes that's not always, uh, <laughs> that's not always the case or, um, Sometimes you might need to get out of your own way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah that's definitely true. And in your in your experience, um, and, and now you're you're working with a lot of um, uh, companies, you know, at Creative Destruction Lab or through Sandpiper, where you're starting to, to mentor uh, other other women and other companies in general. Is this something that you find a lot of companies in Atlantic Canada struggle with? Um. Building a team or, or taking their, their, their companies sort of forward? Yeah. Build, I guess they're kind of interrelated, but uh, building the yeah. right team so that they can I think scale it's one up. Of, I think it's one of the, the greater challenges. And, and yes, I think the challenge is greater in Atlantic Canada. I am incredibly optimistic and I see this as such an incredible place and an exciting place to live. So I'm hoping that we are going to attract more and more talented people here. Talent and, and talent recognition is such a make or breaker as you're scaling your idea. Your idea is a portion of it, but surrounding yourself with incredible people to amplify that is much more important. And I think as a community, we have an, a great role to play in helping to identify people who can help startups to, mm. uh, to, to go through that process and go through those stages. Mm. Interesting. And and since you've, uh, you know, you've been a part of uh, several acquisitions and exits, what's your advice for, um, we have these growing scaling companies here, and uh, many people are looking for uh, an exit. What do you have any advice for for companies or entrepreneurs that might be hoping for an exit in this area? Mm -hmm. Take your time. I think that's the most important thing. It's very, very easy to sort of be blinded by what you think is a large dollar sign, but it's a very permanent decision. And if there is a recognition of value already, then chances are there's going to be an even greater recognition of value later on. So take your time. Don't chase the, the first pennies. Wait until... It's the right moment. And, and you will never know if it's the right moment. Um, mm -hmm. But wait, nonetheless. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. be patient. Do it on your own conditions. Mm -hmm. And be aware that it's really, really hard. And whether that exit is an IPO or if it's a uh, an acquisition, it's really, really hard. So take your time. Be sure that you're incredibly well-informed. And... Make your own decisions. Make sure that you're not being influenced too much by other people. Mm. I think that is sage advice. I have definitely seen some companies um, either move too quickly or get too excited and uh, make some decisions that are hard to mm. come back from in some cases. Um, so that is definitely sage advice. And and also, as you said, you know, and I think Sandpiper is trying to do this find the smart money, yes. find the the people who are aligned with your values and interest. Um, I don't know. That's my, that's my tip. Absolutely. <laughs> find, find people and, and who are aligned with your values That's and so in incredibly important. Find, don't just take sort of the first money that comes. And this is for every stage of the development of your company, but find the people whose vision is aligned and whose capabilities and network is aligned mm -hmm. um, because so much of the mm -hmm. value that other people can bring for you is in who they know and how they know them and what kind of experiences and learning they've had along the way. So um, 
what kind of dreams do you have for our ecosystem here in Atlantic Canada? Like, what's your startup dream or fantasy about Atlantic Canada's startup ecosystem? It, it seems... A bit, again, a bit flip, but it's but it's not intended in that way. I, I recently read an article that said that in the U.S., more people called David had taken a company public than women, hmm. and that's pretty shocking. Um, that more men with the same name <laughs> have taken a company public <laughs> than the total women of all the various names that you could come up with, and. I've raised a billion euros in a in an IPO, and I would love to see an Atlantic Canadian woman raising what would it be one point five billion Canadian dollars um, mm-hmm. in an IPO. And it's not that I'm looking for just that one unicorn. I actually think that if we are able to foster a community that can build that. 1.5 billion IPO, it means that we've succeeded on so many other levels in terms of developing, because in order to have that one, we probably need to have 100 that are really great exits. Mm-hmm. So that would be my dream. If we're able to achieve that, that it it means sort of by definition that we've taken some incredible steps to really support with capital and with infrastructure the kind of companies that we want to build here. So it's it's a long-term goal, but that would be my goal. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think you're, you know, you're right talking about uh, the the unicorn that's out there. A unicorn might spring up completely on its own, but it's much more likely if it's, you know, surrounded by other companies that have some of the inputs or the the skills or the talent or if there's other things around it, you know, to help it reach that level. So that's, that's exciting. Absolutely. All right. Just a couple more questions. Um, (laughs) What has been your proudest moment at Sandpiper? I feel like you've probably had a lot, but like, is there something that stands out for you? Because we're so thrilled that Sandpiper is up and starting to get uh, super involved in the investment community here in our region. So has there been something that's, that stood out for you? Oh, I'm, Proud of so many things about uh, Sandpiper Ventures. I'm incredibly proud of the group of women that I'm working with, with Sarah Young and with Kathy Bennett and with all of the incredible founding partners that um, that have come together behind this initiative. And I'm incredibly proud to, to be working with and supporting and uh, learning from uh, the incredible pipeline companies that uh, that we're working with every single day. Uh, including you know, a company like Denova that is harvesting methane gas um, and, and, and transforming that into a, a, a novel protein to, to solve issues in, uh, in food security and, and with a beachhead market in aquaculture, which is the fastest growing food industry in the world. I'm proud to be working with uh, a company like Colorsmith that has invented um, a... a an encapsulation process um, to uh, to contain dyes in a nanoparticle, and the applications for this technology range from eye care and uh, to uh, to the protection of uh, of health in um, for for uh, for screen use. Um, 
I'm proud to be working with a company like SwiftSure um, that is uh, is building technology to uh, increase the health outcomes of, of people in uh, in intensive care on ventilators. There are just such incredible companies in Atlantic Canada in all four provinces, and I'm so proud to be working with the women that are running those companies. It's it's not a specific moment, but it's every single time. Um, a woman tech entrepreneur says, thank God you're here. Um, and it happens <laughs> a lot. Um, and, and it's incredibly rewarding and, and it, and it brings an incredible level of pride because it, it's at that moment where you realize that's what, that's what we're doing it for. And, Many of these women are, are are women who have built some incredible companies um, and have been incredibly successful in their own way, but still see that there's an incredible need. So my proudest moments are when exactly the people that we are building this for recognize and acknowledge and, and embrace the fact that it's that it is so needed. And, mm. and that's mm. incredibly energizing. That is exciting. So I, I have, because um, I, I was like, oh, I'll just go on and ask you like 10,000 <laughs> more questions. But uh, so, you know, the Onside podcast, uh, we're all about innovation driven entrepreneurship. And we've been asking different guests sort of, you know, what does innovation driven entrepreneurship mean to you? And how would you define that? I think it's really about... Um and it's it's from the ideation stage to to an execution and stale but it's about new solutions and it's about better solutions and it's about inclusive solutions and and i know that that seems again like a social message but it's not because as i mentioned before if we're not tapping into the ideas and the innovations of all of society we're not going to be able to access all of society to support them and, and to have them even as, as consumers. So I think it also has to be inclusive mm. and it's solving current and future problems. It's about having world changing ambitions because we have existential problems in the world right now that we need to come <laughs> up with big, hairy solutions for. And the only way we're going to do that is if we put all of us at work to, to tackle those things. Yeah, I definitely I'm feeling your enthusiasm <laughs> and I definitely agree. Um and 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 that's a big theme for us at at Onside is inclusive innovation driven entrepreneurship. We're definitely seeing that it's super important not to have innovation for innovation's sake, but to solve real world problems and to bring in as many people as possible to share in that benefit and uh you know, come up with those crazy solutions that we need. It's a huge so, huge yeah. opportunity, huge opportunity, but you have to yeah. tap into yeah. everybody. And I feel like the world is at a point where people are starting to realize this and the moment Absolutely. is now. So Absolutely. we're in my mind, we're I not going back. Agree. And and Canada, <laughs> quite frankly, has some catching up to do in this as well. We haven't been as successful as we could be, but we absolutely have the potential and the power and the network and the capacity to. And if we do it in mm. in, in an inclusive way, I think we can do it yeah, better. I definitely agree. Okay, I got one final question for you, I think. And you know, as we've been talking this whole time, one thing that I think I've picked up from you is just your fearlessness in tackling whatever is in front of you. And that doesn't mean that it's always easy and, you know, happens quickly. But, you know, you have a, this story, which I think is quite um, shows a lot of bravery and courage throughout your career, you know, moving from New Brunswick, going to Amsterdam, 
riding on a boat with your kids when they're two years old for 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 going to 22 countries. That takes a lot of bravery. I don't I don't know if I would have done it. I mean, I love my kids and all, but I don't know if I would have done it. And then, you know, coming back, uh, putting yourself, you know, full force, uh, taking a company through an IPO. I mean, that takes a lot of a lot of courage. <laughs> and and then, you know, coming to Halifax, you know, without knowing exactly what it would be like here um, and coming into a, a ecosystem where the the startup community is really starting to, to bond and grow and really take off. But, you know, compared to maybe some other places, um, we're still maybe at the earlier stages, but moving into, you know, a little bit uh, uh, mm-hmm. more maturity. Mm-hmm. So my, my question is, what are your thoughts on being brave and fear? Fear to take things on. Hmm. Interesting. I, th- I think you can't ignore fear. I think you should recognize it. I think you should acknowledge it, but don't dwell on it or feed it. And I, and I think it can actually enable you to do many, many things because fear is, it's your sort of internal risk management. So if you look at it in a very logical way and step beyond it, but take the learnings from it with you, it can be really powerful as well. So I think that's, I don't think I've led my life and acknowledged that, but I think innately that's the way that I've I've moved forward. And every single experience I've had, I've learned, oh, huh, you know what? We're all people here. I don't need to be afraid of anybody and mm. keep on moving. Mm. That is so powerful. I, that's great. That's really great. I hope I hope people take that take that to heart. So that was the last question that I had for you today. I have many more in the future, so don't think you've escaped, <laughs> but that's it for today. Uh, we will always keep talking, Alex, <laughs> and working together. Fantastic. So I really want to thank you for uh, for joining our podcast today. It was so great to, to have you. Really appreciated you sharing your story and your insights and the things you're working on uh, with Sandpiper. Really think that such great work is being done. And really want to thank you for for coming on the show. Um, if people want to learn more about Sandpiper or connect with you, what's the, what's the best way that people can do that? Yeah, sure. Um, Sandpiper, you can reach us at um, VC or at hello at sandpiper.vc for, for email. Um, my LinkedIn is um, Rhiannon E. Davis, I think, and Davis is spelled D-A-V-I-E-S. Um, mm. And I'm absolutely happy to uh, to hear from uh, people. We are we are delighted. We are here to to amplify and to grow and to to hear about exciting new technology companies. So please uh, please do reach out. Awesome, that's great. Uh, I just want to thank our audience for for tuning in. You can learn more about Onside uh, by following us uh, on Twitter at Onside Now. Uh, you can also subscribe and like this podcast. So thanks so much today. 